Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your Monday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. We went to Bellator 290, so we want to cover Bellator 290, as well as, of course, UFC Fight Night 218. And yes, we are aware there was a PFL Challengers. We'll give you the results from that, our thoughts on that. And then we'll also turn the page to UFC 284 which is this week because it's officially pretty much fight week. UFC 284 is on Saturday, February 11th, here in North America, February 12th in Perth, Australia, where the event will be taking place. But let's lock in on February 11th. And Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along like we normally do for this pay-per-view. Chris Curtis, UFC welterweight, uh, expected to join us for that. Should be a lot of fun. Also have a guest from that card, UFC 284, UFC light heavyweight Jimmy Crute who has a big matchup coming up against Alonzo Menafield. We'll go all over this. We're all over this, and we'll go over all of it is what I meant to say. And uh, here we go. Because there's nothing more on my mind more than Bellator 290. All due respect to the UFC, the MMA leader, but we were at Bellator 290, and it was a fun outing, in my opinion, for us because we got to cover the event. I uh, also had a chance to be out there on Wednesday during fight week, just something we haven't really been doing too much in the last few years because of the pandemic, because even when the pandemic, uh, when the sport kind of came back, it was limited personnel and so this was a little bit different and so to go there and then follow through with the with the card duck in and out of the media room press row and then afterwards kind of like the old days going to the fighter hotel it was really really fulfilling for me and i wanted to get your thoughts how about you yeah no it was a lot of fun man and there were just so many pieces of this puzzle because you have to remember george and i covered a very early era of the sport and for one night it kind of came back to life a little bit you know bravo to bellator in the way they brought some of these legends back um and, and brought them in the cage and all that but all these legends needed somewhere to stay and they all stayed in the same hotel so it was kind of like the old days you know the, the the old faces that you're used to seeing were walking around and just some great conversations with uh with fighters, managers, you know, everyone, fans. We we met a couple fans. I remember one guy's name was Caesar. Uh, shout out to him. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. That was uh, a lot of fun. Caesar was the young gentleman that we saw at the Kia Forum, right? The first time we had gone up to see our relatives. Yeah, yeah. He was a really nice fellow, very respectful, and you could tell he was excited to be at the Kia Forum, as were we. Because let's face it, once we enter that arena. We might be wearing a badge. Others might be wearing cornerman outfits. Someone might have a tuxedo on. Whatever, man. And if you're in the last seat or the first seat, you're a fan. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. And it was it was great to be around a lot of people that love the same sport that I do. So, yeah, shout out to Caesar. Um, and the event, it also focused on a lot of veterans who are maybe they're not at at knocking at retirement's door like Fedor. But like, for example, I hadn't seen Lorenz Larkin uh, in person in a while, and I got to see him, and I got to see him fight, and it was one of his better finishes, you know, uh, going out there with landing that elbow to the temple and just completely turning his opponent off. Congrats to him. That was pretty much, I think, the first fight that uh, we saw that we got to sit down. We just missed Isaiah versus Maori. I really wanted to watch that one, but that was as soon as we could get there. So that really, really kicked the night off for me personally. And then, you know, as the night unfolded, we got to 6 p.m. Pacific, which is when the CBS uh, main card started. And so what Bellator did was they had prelims, then the main card on CBS, 
and then they finish with post limbs. So basically, those are prelim fights that take place after the main card. It's a little, it's done a little bit different with CBS. And so when we got to the CBS portion of the card, it was Soba Homasi versus Brandon Ward. And they really kicked things off nicely. Even the casual fran- fans that we brought, which were our two nieces that have been visiting and Goza's girlfriend, Laura, they were uh, texting me saying, wow, this is bloody, but this is really, really cool. Yeah, dude. That, so this car, first of all, the CBS portion of it, and maybe even the event, really needed that fight. That Brennan Ward fight was out of control. It was key. Yeah, it was very, very key because you could have still had a good time. I mean, let's keep it real. The Fedor fight was not a great fight, but everything that went into it and then after kind of made up for that. But if you weren't a big Fedor fan growing up, then you might just go, oh, this is just a shitty fight, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you needed something like that. And it was really good that that kicked off the CBS portion of it. It was uh, one of the loudest pops in the arena during the fight. But, um, but yeah, overall, you know, when you throw in like Lorenz Larkin's KO, I mean, that was nasty, dude. Um, it, it, it was a good card. It was a very good showing for Bellator. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, his opponent, Burkhamov, had not even had only lost once in 16 fights. He was a tough Russian fighter, you know, and, and Lorenz Larkin feels like he's the black sheep of the division because he hasn't lost since 2017, seven fights in a row. And yet he's, he appears to be nowhere near a title shot. Mm-hmm. And that's a little disappointing to me because Lorenz Larkin is someone that brings over some credible wins from not only Strike Force but also the UFC, including, of course, ruthless Robbie Lawler, probably a a future Hall of Famer for the UFC, are uh, just very well highly regarded because of his longevity, how spectacular he was early on, and then capturing belts, you know, uh, overseas and Hawaii, and, and then coming to the UFC, of course, and winning the welterweight title. Lorenz Lark can beat that guy. And so how he hasn't managed to be in a position to to win a title is is I can't say it's beyond me. I know the reason. He just doesn't really go out and ask for it. But mm-hmm. um anyway, I, I just wanted to give even more importance and even a bigger spotlight to that win because Berkamoff again was a, a tough, tough challenger. Lorenz Larkin was a big underdog going in, too. Yeah, that's um, you know, even if there there are a lot of fighters in the UFC that kind of don't do that, but if you keep winning you do eventually get ranked, you know, like he's not even ranked. So that, that is kind of odd, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it because uh, not just hardcores, but casuals, like they would be into his style. He would be a, a person you would want to be on your main card. Yeah. And you know, I'm surprised you didn't check me because we kind of had moved on from that fight. I just had it in my notes. We were talking about Sabaho Masi and Brandon Ward and you're, you're right. It was key to get this thing going. Um, it it really like it's it's so important. Even if you go to the UFC pay per views, that opening bout we always talk about, and that division seventy can do it, forty five can do it, fifty five can do it. It's really hard to disappoint. And yeah, a casual could have turned in and said, "We did all this for Fedor." Well, we did, all right. But um, and it's well deserved. But yeah, this fight I get, I think is the one that could basically get people to record something else they're gonna watch. And tune in because these two really, really threw down. It was bloody. It was crazy. The Brennan Ward fight. Yeah. Yeah. And it was back and forth. You know, that. and then on top of that, when you tie in Brennan Ward's story, if you follow MMA Junkie and the reporting that Nolan King did on that, uh, you just kind of fall in love with with his comeback story. So um, that tied in with the fact that the fight had some good back and forth, blood, uh, great shots, man. Uh, good ending. It, it was very, very key for that night. Correct. The next fight on the main card was Johnny Eblen defeating uh, Antoli Tokov to defend his Bellator middleweight title. And this fight was, how can I put it to you? It went from average to exciting for me you had to have a real appreciation for all of MMA and all of what a 25 fight, 20 minute, 25 minute fight can present. 
So Eblen, we know, has great pace, great cardio. He can mix it up. He's just in your face. But he was facing a tough Russian. Uh, I mean, just jacked with, you know, carries power, can wrestle, uh, great chin. He's part of Fedor's team. And Johnny was more focused on the stand-up early on. And I didn't think it was really, really going that well for him because he wasn't mixing it up with his wrestling, or at least the threat of a takedown. But then as the fight unfolded, boy, did he get to his wrestling. I and mean, he was able to toss Tokov around a lot. It kind of reminded me of McDonald, Roy McDonald versus Nate Diaz, including a vicious suplex takedown towards the end of the fight that just that made the crowd roar. The, the crowd was really thrilled to watch wrestling, to watch one guy out-wrestle the other. And I haven't seen that too often in fights that I attend. It's usually the striking that'll get people to their feet. But they were really appreciating the show Johnny was putting on. I mean, he just kept body locking them, throwing them down. Tokov would get up. He'd slam them down again over and over. Different ways he'd get them down. Um, and credit to Tokov. Yeah, granted, he grabbed the cage a couple times. Uh, but for the most part, he was able to pop up pretty quick. Like I say, the tough, durable Russian would not go away. But that slam at the end, man. He threw him towards us, and maybe it wasn't head, neck, shoulder, the way Kevin Randleman threw down Fedor Melianenko, mm-hmm. who was warming up probably watching this, maybe even got an eerie feeling. It was more shoulder, neck, head in terms of the way the impact was absorbed, but still, head and neck were involved. I'm telling you, man, when you see someone thrown back that way, holy cow like that is a pretty scary thing and 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 eblin did it the crowd roared it was right towards the end of the fight and and so it helped set the tone even more for the main event but credit to johnny eblin for really really picking it up and making himself an exciting fighter by using wrestling which is usually very very difficult for a fighter who's trying to make his mark uh, to for him to do that that slam was insane for many reasons because you would imagine if I stepped in on short notice to fight Johnny, that's probably what he would do to me, mm-hmm. let alone somebody else who has an insane amount of experience um, late in the fight. And that's another thing you have to realize. This is later in the fight where fighters are usually gassed and they can't, <laughs> they wouldn't even think about doing something or have that in their tank to do something. He had the balls to not only attempt it, but like he got a 10, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, that just kind of tells you when, uh, if you were to kind of compare Eblin to some of the other greats at middleweight, well, right away, he's telling you, I can go five rounds and I could be just as tough in the fifth round as I am in the first round. That's a scary thing to deal with. Yeah. You know, all we had heard pre-fight was, hey, I'm the best middleweight in the world or People on his behalf saying Johnny's the best middleweight in the world. And we hear it a lot. You know, if it's a non-UFC fighter who happens to be undefeated and is coming off a special performance and there's a dot connector there, right? Who did he beat? Gegard Mousasi. Gegard Mousasi's fought in pride. Strikeforce. UFC. You know what I mean? He's held a major belt. The uh, Strikeforce Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. But most of the time he was fighting as a middleweight. And yeah, he's a little bit probably past his prime. But Johnny blitzed him. So there's mm-hmm. that dot connector where you can say it's not like some guy that's 23 and 0. He's only fought in Russia. He's only fought in Japan. He's only fought in Brazil. What's he like here, down here? No, he beat Gegard Mousasi to win the title. So this is his first title defense. And then he goes out there and does that. Man, I'm guaranteeing he goes as tough and durable as Tokov is. After that slam, he had to have probably been wishing that he was just ran over by a car instead of finding, fighting Johnny Evelyn on Saturday night. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, early on in the fight, he was he was finding it. That was the thing is, you know, Johnny, for as good as he, he looks, you could tell there's still room for improvement, right? The striking, he was coming up short on a lot of them shots, and he was taking damage. So there are room, there is room for him to improve. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Tokov must have thought, like, what did, does he have a twin? Did they switch him out, you know, after round one or what the hell's going on? <laughs> um, but that wrestling, that's where Johnny has to understand is, that wrestling is what will open up that striking, right? So he kind of did it in reverse order. Mm -hmm. Um, But he seems like, I mean, come on, look who's in his corner, right? Like, you're going to get better with those minds uh, 
kind of holding the puppet strings, right? Like you're going to get better and it's going to happen. So yeah, I, I think this dude uh, has a really, really high ceiling. Yeah. His, his head coach is King Mo. His assistant head coach is Mike Brown. And then he had support from Dustin Poirier and Thiago Alves. That was one hell of a corner. Uh, so, you know, congrats to him. Also, there was this little sentiment of USA versus Russia in the arena. It started mostly because some of the Russian fans and supporters and mostly teammates, at least from what I saw of Tokov, were yelling encouragement to him. It sounded like what they were maybe saying was, because it wasn't Antoli and it wasn't Tokov, it almost sounded like they were saying Ninja or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they started a little chant from it, and others would pick up on it. So it was probably something having to do with, with um, you know, Russians in general that they may, may, maybe they all say say to each other. But the crowd caught wind of that, and then they would start with their USA chants. Now it wasn't like hostile or anything like that. It was just chant versus chant. So that kind of picked things up a little bit. And again, the wrestling, the pace, the takedowns. Uh, you know, people started going, "Wow! Like what this guy's doing is, is is pretty amazing. He just he just won't quit." So yeah, and lots. I agree. Still a high ceiling for Johnny Eblen. I think he can get a lot better. I think he can polish up his hands, learn to throw a little bit more precise, a little bit more straight, a little bit more snap, and 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 keep adding that to uh, his his other qualities in the wrestling and and the and the, and the cardio and. I, I, he's made me more of a believer, but I guess early on, I I didn't say like not rudely like fool. You guys are tripping. This ain't the best middle. I didn't say that. I was just saying many people at home are going to struggle with the assertion that this guy might be the best middleweight in the world because he's he's not distancing himself from Tokov. Him and Tokov were competing. Tokov was winning portions of that fight, and so the question marks would remain. But then as the fight progressed. You saw some of these qualities that made you think, hey, you rub your chin a little bit. Some of these guys might have a point, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm telling you, he starts ragdolling Pajeda and, and Izzy. You know, they're not going to like that. They're not going to like what Evelyn did if, if he can do that to them the way he did it to Tokov. So um, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. You know, are they going to fight anytime soon? Of course not. But it's definitely fun to discuss this stuff. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I I kind of had the same thoughts as you did, and I, but I've come around a lot more. To the death, gun to the head, who would you take between Evelyn and Pajeda right now? Or let's just say you owned a home. It was paid off, but they said, we'll take it away from you if you don't get this right. Who would you put your money on? I, I would take Johnny Evelyn. Me too. Me too. Against, yeah. I'd, I'd be more scared against Izzy than Pajeda just because of the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Izzy's usually been tougher to take down over the years. But uh, against Pajeda, I, I think I might too. Yeah. So uh, Whitaker would almost be more scarier than Pajeda too. But Oh, yeah. I, I, that That's who I would fear. That, and that's the thing. Like, um, I know we're probably going to get more into this tomorrow, but that that's the thing is like, is he good enough to contend with the top right now? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He can do that. It's holding on to the belt for a long period of time that would be kind of difficult when you start to get to the Marvin Vittori's of the world, the, the, uh, uh, what the hell's his Brunson. name? Jared Cannonier, right? Yeah. Brunson, Pot, Whitaker, Pot. those guys. I think they, a road. yeah, that's a tougher road for sure. And that's part of being the champion. And so that might be what would stop him if he were to move over, but just jumping to the head of the class, jumping to the front of the row, and and getting that instant title shot, my money's on Eblin against Pajeda. Anyway, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, now this isn't to say that Pajeda, because Johnny Eblin's not thirteen and zero. Pajeda, I believe, is eight and one or something like that. Nine and one. Uh, a couple more fights, and Pajeda might be tougher to take down. That's a big, massive dude, by the way. But anyway, um, before we get to Kate Fedor, I do want to say one other thing. Bellator two ninety had these results that I feel like we're close to the show, close to us. Uh, we've covered Darian Caldwell for a while. He lost in the opening bout against Nikita Mikhailov. And then a matchup that a lot of people were looking forward to with the ladies, Alejandra Lara lost to Diana uh, Asaragova. And Max Roshkov, who we've gotten to know at Extreme Couture, he fell to 7-2. and two. 
Back after two years, finally fighting, he lost to Chris Gonzalez. Looked good early on, didn't work out. Steve Mowry, recent guest of MMA Junkie Radio, drew with Ali Izayev. Izayev getting two uh, 10-9s, Steve Mowry with a with a 10-8. That's what balanced things off. Henry Corrales, who we've covered for a few years, he got a nice win over Ahmed Magomedov. By the way, he was the one with the biggest odds against him, so anybody that bet him, uh, is feeling pretty happy about themselves. All right, so we get finally. Oh, and Neiman Gracie defeated Dante Shiro. All right, we get finally to the main event, guys. Boy, this was super cool for me, man. Really, really enjoyed this. Fedor Melianenko and Ryan Bader fought for the second time. This was for the title. And when Fedor came out, like when the lights went down and we knew Fedor was going to come out, it was amazing. It seemed like everyone got on their phone or on their feet and took out their phone and recorded it. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I'm going to be able to watch other people's recordings. I know you did it, but I said to myself, I'm just going to enjoy this. And I watched him come out. Um, he made his last walk. And so I thought, wow, pretty cool. I can always say I've seen this guy in person now a few times, but this is his final fight, they say. And then, you know, they get to the prep point, some Vaseline, chuck the gloves in the the cup, and it's all there. And Okay. But then he got inside the cage, and before Bader came out, who, by the way, also had an, a, a fun little walkout. Uh, he had his, his support there. Fedor was walking, pacing back and forth, and he likes to do this thing where he hits his shoulders, his chest, his legs. He just kind of likes to warm himself up. I've seen him do it many times, man, over the years, at Affliction, at Pride, everything. But he was so close to us, goes. I really was like, I don't know if it was starstruck. I know I felt chills, and I was like, there he is. And I think I did this, too, four years ago. I just go, there he is again, the great Fedor. But this mm-hmm. is the last time he's going to do it. But he was right there. Like, honestly, if security wasn't there and you just told me, hey, remember Fedor invi- uh, reminded us to tell him this before the fight? I could have gotten to him in five seconds, you know, and just said, yeah. you told us to remind you, you know, to say this or whatever. He was right there. It was just so cool. And maybe it's because Tom Brady just retired. We're seeing the end of Ronaldo and Messi. You know, you got to throw this guy up there, man, as one of the special athletes, bar none in any sport that we've gotten to witness. At least me personally, that's my take. Dude, it was amazing. I mean, there, um, <laughs> now that I think about it, man, for him fighting most of his career overseas, I've actually had the opportunity to, to be around him quite a bit. And for this one, I took out my phone. I was very cognizant of I want to I wanted to see this with my own two eyes. So I would point the phone, but I would watch him with my eyes. So there were times where I think he kind of fell out of focus or out of frame. And I don't care um, because I, I can go back and I could see somebody else's video or whatever. But it was very important for me to kind of watch him with my own two eyes, uh, walk to that ring and get in there. And then, like you said, the pacing back and forth was just couple yards from us pretty insane so um i don't know there's just something about it you get these chills it's the baddest man or one of the baddest men on the planet but he was such an enigma for so long such a legend Uh, not to mention george and i spent half of last week just recapping his entire career and we remember every moment of it where we were as we were going through some of these fights or you're going through and we're like, Oh yeah. Remember the Kevin Randall movie? Yeah. That's when we lived at this house. No, or this is before we even started tag radio. Uh, the, yeah, I remember this fight. This is when we first moved to Vegas. You know, that was just so much about that whole experience. And so um, I don't know. Yeah. I just kind of put a trance over us. And then to top it all off, once the fight's over, Fedor must've walked he probably could have, I could have kissed him if I wanted to. That's how close, we, but a couple times, you know, walking back to the press conference, he was right behind us, kind of even gave us a little head nod, which was cool. And then I was recording something and then he walked right in front of the camera and it kind of startled me a little bit. I, I'll send you the videos. They're just kind of funny. 
uh, but he he walked right in front of it, and so um, yeah, we were we were around him a lot this weekend, and then over his career, you know, for those of you who who may not remember, but we actually interviewed him for almost an hour in our hotel room one time. So we've had quite quite a <laughs> quite a history with the Emilianenko brothers, really, when you think about it. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, huge huge history there, uh, and they're so different. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I, for, I forgot we did get to see him in the back up close a couple times and he always has his head on with the sly smile. And I guess I'm going to pretend, uh, he knows who the hell I am and that's why I got one, but he might've been giving everyone one, um, gives you a wink, but it, it was cool, man. It was really, really cool. You know, I, I really... This fucking guy, Dana White. <laughs> I, I, I'm i a Dana fan. I really am. But boy, he can easily... He can easily, like, um, make you not like him. At least for, like, a good hour. You know, where you're like, what? And you have to close the computer and walk away. You know, for him to say he didn't think he was that great, he never came to UFC, and come on, bro. Like, I um, I wish he could say that on our show. Like, I wish we'd have him in the studio, and he wasn't in the setting where he's there to cover the card. You know, that was Derek Lewis, Spivak card. I'm mm-hmm. sure they covered that event. I'm sure they covered the upcoming UFC 284. I'm sure they did some housekeeping. And then they say that. But there's no way I could let him sit in our studio and if he said that and me not go, hey, stop being stupid. All right. You flew to a fucking island to try and sign this guy. You wanted uh, a lot of money. You, you offered him a lot of money. And he had some dipshit manager that probably had a hand in, in turning it down, but you wanted them. You knew how special he was. Probably 99% of your uh, staff at the UFC and 99% of the fighters that fight for you in the UFC or have fought for you in the UFC would agree with what I'm saying. Like, you're the only one still saying this, and I think you think people agree with you. The mm-hmm. casual fan that just started following the sports probably like, you tell him, Uncle Dana. But anyone else that has a measure of respect in this game, notables, fighters, any contributors, would know that that's an asinine statement. This right. guy goes as beaten 11 fighters who have won major belts, eight former UFC champions, six of which were former champions in the heavyweight division, why in the fuck would he need to prove himself in the UFC? Is it a bigger stage with more nerves, more media obligations, things that might trip him up come fight day? I mean, sure, maybe that that's like kind of a stretch. Like nothing seemed to bother this guy. Mm-hmm. He just kind of did his media obligations just with a translator. But fireworks and stages and uh, I, nothing, nothing would have bothered this guy. The other guy talking trash. The other guy pacing back and forth. The other guy having tattoos, a mohawk, being an S Navy SEAL, the toughest man. Nothing phased this guy. So him having to come over to the UFC, like, no, bro. And And Dana, come on, bro. Like, seriously, like that's just some, that's a thought. That's a troll job, a thought you should have put in the back, in the back of your your, your, rear view mirror. You don't need to say that anymore. You have a successful franchise. No one's popping back and forth between Bellator and the UFC. No one even did that. Maybe with strike force in the UFC. The last time it happened was really when it was pride in the UFC. And it was a clear one, two, either way, whatever you felt, you know about each promotion that that's kind of when we argued a little bit more and, and then it trickled over to affliction maybe for the two shows but that was about it 
Like the UFC's it, Dana. You did a great thing there. But don't say that. That that's stupid, man. Like, oh my god, I can't believe he he said that. Like, I'm not sitting here goes anointing Fedor the greatest heavyweight of all time, but you can include him in that conversation. It's subjective. Yeah. We can argue all day. We can throw stats all day, but this guy didn't lose for 31 fights, mm-hmm. and that is difficult to do for starters. And then all those stats I told you about former champions and and who he beat, like, I mean, I I I I I I don't know what to say. I don't know what else to say. Um, I I, I just thought like, just like Nate Diaz, say some nice things and shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. It was silly. It really was. You know, he didn't have to go to the UFC because essentially the UFC came to him. That's how gangster he was. And he handled business with every single one of them guys that came to him. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's just a silly comment. And it's really up to us and how we interpret that if we want to sit there and, and argue with him. But really, he's just uh, he's just being a little bitter, man. I mean... Can you imagine if someone yeah. said that about like Anderson Silva? Um, well, Uriah Hall knocked him out, or BJ Penn. Um, Ryan Hall beat him at one point. Like he said, Dan Henderson knocked him out. Well, Dan Henderson's not a chump. He mm-hmm. categorized him as a middleweight, which is mostly what I think I do know Dan as. But with all due respect. Dan Henderson was also a light heavyweight champion at Strike Force, or sorry, yeah, a light heavyweight champion at Strike Force and a light heavyweight contender in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So that's not like, I don't know, he had this tone of like Dan Henderson of all people knocked him out. I mean, yeah, Fedor was never a big guy. Maybe that's actually kind of what made him special too. Was he just took down mountain after mountain? Well, not that all of them were mountains, but he beat some impressive dudes. But when he's beating six of your dudes. Seriously, again, end it. Right. Yeah, because I would I would think that's more embarrassing, you know, if you're in that argument and they go, well, we did beat six of your champions. And not like chump champions, not guys that held the belt for one fight or something, you know, like these are guys that kind of reigned for a while. I, I, I don't know. I think he'd, he'd kind of shut up after that, right? I mean, what are you yeah. going to say? Yeah, well, sometimes we have dumb champions. I mean, there's no real comeback to that. And really eight if you throw in Matt Linlin and uh, Quinton. Because mm-hmm. Quinton was a light heavyweight champion. Linlin was a middleweight champion. <laughs> it, it's it's just mind-boggling to me. Um, that night was so special. And then them bringing in all those legends into the cage. I thought, bravo, Bellator. You did a great job. That was a proper yeah. send-off. Well, um, why, would you, why would you sign Noguera? Right? Why would you sign Krokop? If the guy that beat them you don't think much of, why would you sign them? Like, come on, these, these are silly remarks. Yeah. If you were to ask Dana White, hey, what'd you think of Nog when he was with you guys and Krokop? He'd probably say some really nice things. Mm-hmm. But and and Fedor clearly beat beat them. I mean, he beat Mir, he beat Arlovsky, beat Team Sylvia. Mark Coleman, Kevin Randall. It's, I don't know. I just think he's gotten past that point where he needs to be a real housewife of Las Vegas. Um, The legends that were in the, the, sorry, the Bellator cage, what PFL calls there's a smart cage. What does Bellator call themselves again? Does their cage have a, mm, a I don't name? think so. I think they just call it the Bellator cage. Bellator cage. Josh Barnett, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Frank Shamrock, Matt Hughes, Enzo Gracie, Hoist Gracie, Chel Sonnen, uh, Quinton Rampage Jackson. I don't know if I said Mark Coleman. Uh, dude, that was really, really awesome. Like but. that was just, I was blown away by that. The respect and the reverence they had for this guy. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, that probably re- recharged me for the next 10 years. You know, there's times where MMA starts to piss you off a little bit because of the way it, it can be or whatever. 
Yeah. But something like that just makes it feel like I, I can't wait for the next show. If I can make the next show, the resources are there. I want to be there because that kind of stuff like reinvigorates you. And we haven't even gotten to the to the the post fight stuff at the hotel. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. What you want to say? I know we have Jimmy Crew. We have to do that in um, Well, no, no. I was gonna say, oh man, I don't want to sound like a hater, um, because I did enjoy everything about that. But there was something that you know, Chris Cyborg was in attendance. Mm. And she is regarded as one of the greatest female mixed martial artists of all time. I was in awe of her too. Um, I thought maybe she could have been included, mm-hmm. but you know, I guess they had their reasons. I guess the only thing they can you can say is she's not retired, mm-hmm. and everyone else was retired. Um, now, granted, I wouldn't be shocked to see Rampage box or compete somewhere again one more time right but yeah i think you just make the fucking exception for chris cyborg and just put mm-hmm. her in there like because she was in attendance and um man it was really nice to see her give fedor so much love she became an mma reporter at the end of at the end of the night she actually was in the press room and asked him a question and then fedor told her i watch your fights too and she had a smile from face to face from ear to ear sorry it was really, really cool. That whole thing was just really beautifully done. Can't give Bellator enough of a shout-out. Bellator on their own solidified that number two ranking. We say PFL makes has made up some ground. One championship has made up some ground. You know, Bellator sometimes just gives us these cards in Europe or uh, filler cards where we're like, well, what's going on here, you know? But this was really, really a pretty cool card. And this is considering the fight was really just really one-sided. Shout out to Ryan Bader for his title defense. Um, he did what he's supposed to do, and that was maul an aging legend, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, at the end, it was just really, really well done by Bellator. He laid the gloves down. He said a few things, and then seeing all those stars with him, it was tens across the board for me. Yeah. All right, let's get to Jimmy Crew. This is a pre-record that we did over the weekend. Jimmy Crute is in Melbourne, Australia, or was in Melbourne, Australia. So we kind of had to work with him a little bit on this, but it's pretty fresh. It just happened uh, yesterday. So we hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and then a little bit more about what happened this past weekend. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes show up with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Today we go down under to talk to Jimmy Crute, who's got a big fight coming up here eh, about a week out. He's got Alonzo Menafield on the plate. What's going on, Jimmy? How are you? I'm good, mate. Just uh, finished up camp a few days ago. Started settling in. Got a week out. So, um, yeah, just chilling. The haze in the barn. The hard work is in. Now the focus is the weight cut, right? Are you one of those that uh, suffers a lot during fight week because of the weight cut? I believe that's more mental than physical, they say. Um, oh, you can definitely have some physically hard weight cuts, but it is all mental. Um, my weight's fine. You know, I don't have much weight to um, to go at the moment anyway, so it's going to be a nice cruisy weight cut for me, and it's going to be a nice change. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question here uh, just to get this one out of the way. This is a UFC-oriented interview, but tonight there's a big fight at Bellator with Ryan Bader and Fedor Emelianenko. Is that even in existence out there for us Aussie MMA fans? Are you even interested in that fight, Fedor the legend um, against Bader? I'm interested because it's Fedor's last fight, but to be honest, there's no other fight that exists outside of my fight right now for me. Yeah. Um, if it was a stacked UFC, like, oh, I'm not watching the UFC today. It's just I'm focused on my fight, and that's it. I love it. All right. Well, Brian and I are, are going to uh, L.A. in a few hours to, to check it out. Um, but anyway, back to you. I wanted to ask you this question. What did Jamal's Hill win? Did it affect you in any way? Here's why I ask. I didn't even think Jamal Hill was a title contender just yet. I thought he was getting close. I thought the winner of Smith versus Hill, you could say that's a title contender because we had Yuri and Ankalaev and Teixeira and whatever. And I felt like, you know, there was this foursome there that was kind of towards the top. And everyone's kind of 
climbing up the ladder, like like yourself. And then all of a sudden, the chips fall in different ways. Hill's in now in a title shot, and now he's the world champ. So for you, do you feel like, hey, man, something like that could happen to me in 2023? Yeah, definitely feel like anything can happen in this sport. But to be honest, I was just happy for Jamal. You know, it's it's his win, man. It's his, he, it's his win to enjoy. And, you know, he's a great person. It was just good to see him get what he deserves. He deserves to be a world champion. And it was just, yeah, I'm not... I don't put myself selfishly into that um, situation. I'll earn my own total shot. And, um, yeah, it was just good to see like that. Well, it's very classy of you. You know, I know you guys have mixed it up. Things didn't go your way that night. But even Jamal, he was on the same card with Paul Craig, who's the only guy to give him his loss. You know, so it's funny how the, the tide can turn and things can move around. And it's just about pay, staying positive, getting better, staying ready. I'm sure that's kind of how you think about the 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 world of MMA and your division, which has been pretty crazy, pretty chaotic. Or, or am I wrong? Yeah, no. The the light heavyweight division is just such a opportunity zone. Like anything can happen, and you just got to stay ready. And you're right. I'm just got to focus on my own growth and and my. I got to stay in my own lane and, and not worry about what everyone else is doing. I just got to keep getting better myself. Can you become a world champion in 2023, or do you feel like you're still uh, season, there's still more seasoning, more getting better before you get to your prime. And here's why I ask because there's a lot of champions in the history of this division, other divisions as well, that have gotten there, but they've only won and then they were taken off. And sometimes I feel like maybe they weren't ready, or who knows, you know. I mean, Jones is obviously not the case that I'm talking about, but I, I imagine that most fighters kind of want to get there and stay there, right, Jimmy? Yeah, um, look. I could win a world title in 2023. It's not the most likely situation just because I probably need to go on a three or four fight win streak before I'm even considered. But as we've seen, anything can happen. Um, but I plan to be a world champion and I plan to be, I plan that this run that I'm going on now, this string of wins is going to take me there. So I'm going to be a world champion, whether it's this year or next year or the year after. I don't care. Um, I'm prepared to do the work. I know what I have to do. And there's no stopping me. I'm going to be a world champion. First up, though, is Alonzo Menafield. You're going to hear this on Fight Week from media. You're going to hear it, I guess, from me, uh, the commentators. You know, Menafield has power. He's got to stay away from that. What, what? How do you even react to that? Do you feel like that is, I guess, the big highlight of constructing a game plan versus Alonzo Menafield? Or, or are there other things that you've that you've studied and seen? Yeah, Alonzo's got some great skills, too. Um, you know, I think people underestimate. Uh, underestimate his wrestling and his ability to string things together there. Um, he's more than just a, a big heavy hitter, but he's not going to... Just wait. Just wait. All I'm going to say is just wait because I'm going to blow him out of the water. Ooh, this is, nice. This is different. This is different this time. I'm I'm not... The, he's preparing for the wrong person, I promise you. I love that confidence. And you get to do it in your home country, of Australia, I'm sure that's got you even more jacked. Yes, yes. Um, I haven't fought at, uh, I haven't fought in Australia in in oh, I can't even remember three or four years. So to have that home country crowd, it's going to be a special moment. And to me, it's this is just a to me. It feels like I'm making my debut. So it's like my first fight, and it's going to be amazing to to do it in front of the Aussie fans. Jimmy, so like as George mentioned, you don't really get breaks, man. Every one of your fights has been pretty, pretty tough. Um, a guy like Alonzo Minifield, though, how, where do you rank him among some of the, the challenges that you've already faced in your career? The way I look at it, mate, everything that I've done up to this point is nothing. I'm not relying on any tough fights that I've had in the past. I'm not ranking him here or there. The only thing that matters is I show up to fight the best of the best on February 12th. And I just got to consider Alonzo Menafield the best. So I'm going to be ready for anything. And as far as yourself and your preparation going into this fight, did you feel like it were was just a, a matter of maybe like turning a few screws, tightening some things up? Or is this one of those uh, moments that we've had fighters come on and say, I had to go back and kind of reset everything? Which, which of those two felt more like uh, what happened? I didn't have to go back and reset anything. I had to go back and change my whole life. Um, you know, this last year has been an absolute crazy journey and 
Uh, a lot of work's gone into it, out, even outside of training. I had to, to re-change the way I looked at the world. So that's going to show on, on February 12th, and it's really going to look like a different person in there, I promise you guys. I'm curious if I can follow up on that. What did you have to change about your life that applied to uh, the sport? I'll write a book one day, boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can I guess? I, yeah, can, yeah, I mean, yeah. are you just young and maybe you hadn't really, I guess, fully become professional, you know, getting the proper sleep, the proper nutrition? Did you party? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I'm curious because I'm a fan. I know our fans will be curious. All of the above, man, like just um, a lot of things happened. And yeah, I, I, I realized that I had to take this a lot more seriously than I was taking it. And um, I had to take life a lot more seriously than I was taking it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's tremendous. You know, that, that recognition, you've, you said you've already applied it to this fight camp, it sounds like. Have you noticed the difference? Yeah. Yeah, I have. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and blow smoke up it. I'm just, I'm, I'm coming February 12th to fight, and it's going to be different this time. Yeah, and it's going to be right about this time in about a week. So that's pretty cool that it's right around the corner. So let's just finish up with this. You know, you're only 26. Uh, the current champ's 31. The previous champs were Glover in his 40s, uh, Jan up in his upper 30s, and Yeri, I believe, is 30. So uh, it, there's still time, you know, like, uh, I guess you identifying this at this point in time, matching with skills and hard work, anything can happen. Absolutely, man. And as you said, a lot of the, a lot of these guys, except for Jones, have sort of got the belt and, and lost it the next fight. And when I get the belt, I've got years to defend it. Um, I'm not getting the belt in my prime. I'm getting it just before my prime. And then I'll get to defend it all the way through my prime. That's the way I look at it. I love it. A um, lot of Australians on the card. It's going to be nuts. I'm sure you kind of all root for each other. Um, would you say that, you know, when they talk about combat sports, and I'm going to put boxing with it as well because we grew up watching boxing, but you think of passionate countries, Mexico, for their boxers, um, you know, Ireland, the UK, the they really, really bring it. I've noticed the Aussie crowds are strong, you know, but you got other sports over there in Australia as well. But when it comes to combat sports, where would you rank the Aussie fans and what do you think that arena is going to be like? I think because we've been starved for it for so many years now because of COVID, it's going to be electric. Um but I don't know where I'd rank them. I haven't, I haven't fought in enough places to, to make a ranking. But in my heart, Aussies, Aussie fans, there's nothing like it. You know, when you walk out and you can just feel the energy, feel the sound, it is, um, it is pretty electric in there. What's your walkout song, by the way? Have you already picked it? Um, I've got to pick it. <laughs> you haven't picked it yet? I always leave it to last. Now nah, walking out to um, Lights Go Down by Byzantium. Can you repeat that? Different for me. Normally, I, normally I walk out the rock and roll, but I uh, changed the number this time. And and what was the song again? Lights go down by Bizanji. Okay, I'll have to look that up. Cool. All right. Well, Jimmy, hey, thanks for waking up early on a Sunday to do this. It's our Saturday, so we still got to go enjoy Bellator and uh, later on a UFC. And then next week is fight week, baby. You know, we get a we'll be we'll be doing a watch along, watching the pay per view and checking it out. And uh, I'm really really pumped about it. So. Thanks again for the time. Good luck on everything, and and uh, congrats on those positive changes in your life. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me on. All right, cheers. All right. Well, he cut out the cut out the bullshit, and it sounds like maybe a Jimmy Crute two is headed our way. I, I he kind of seemed to reveal that. Yeah, okay, maybe I wasn't as professional as as I should be, uh, mm-hmm. but 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 now expect a new Jimmy Crute. Man, I love when fighters say this, and I really do hope he figured out what it was that was holding him back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of sad to hear, you know, that, that fighters go through these types of things, and we all do in our lives. But uh, to be able to perform at that level uh, and that spotlight on that stage, phew, you have to be 100% there, man. Exactly, because the next guy, that, the guy that you're fighting, he may not party. He may mm-hmm. just be all about consuming uh, every second that he has with the right sleep, 
vitamins, training, preparations, and ready to jack you up. He's not going to strike you out. He's not going to rain a, a three over you or get more rebounds than you or stop you from scoring a TD. He's there to fuck you up. You know what I mean? And yeah, you got to be ready to do it to him. But anyway, thank you to Dom from for uh, his management team for setting that up. Let me clean up a few things here. Um, we had a challenger series card on Friday night. Amanda Lev Levy defeated Naranjan Jangal Send Ayush. Evelyn Martins defeated Jeslyn Michelle. Jackie Cataline defeated Senna Vanderveerdonk. Vander <laughs> uh, Michelle Montague defeated Shakita Amador Woods. Goes Martins, Cataline, and Montague all got finishes. Amanda Levy got the contract. So I know they got their panel, and I know Ray Suffo chimes in with the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. But I I would be hard-pressed not to give a finisher the advantage over a decisionator, even if the decisionator is a more exciting fighter or, or built. They didn't, they didn't clearly win, you know? Like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, the scores support that. But what I'm saying is you get a finish, that, that jumps to the top for me. Yeah, because your first question to everybody would have to be, well, what do I have to do? Was I supposed to murder him? I mean, what else can I possibly do for you to give me this this opportunity? Yeah, it could be you didn't match bait correctly then if you thought so little of me. It was two rear naked chokes and a TKO stoppage, but I don't know. All right, PFL Challenger Series. Those were the women's featherweight on display Uh, over at the UFC because I want to get back to some Bellator talk. I feel like it was their weekend. But over at the UFC, we did have a fight night card. And it was UFC fight night 218. Sergey Spivak defeated Derek Lewis. He submitted him in the first round with an arm triangle choke. Devin Clark beat, beat uh, Jong Daun. In the co-main event, Marcin Tabora defeated Blagoy Ivanov. Uh, unanimous decision there. Duku Choi, shout out to him versus Kyle Nelson. Duku Choi is a member of the UFC's Hall of Fame because of the fight he had with Club Swanson. He was back after a long time as well. Uh, they had a majority draw in their fight. And then the rest of the fight, hey, you know what? The results are on the results tab of MMA Junkie. Go look at them yourself. It wasn't talked about much. It wasn't promoted much. It just wasn't much of interest to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's all I'll say on that. Did you want to chime in on any of these? Yeah, I went back and watched a little bit of it, and um, you know, this happens. This 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 happens in the reverse sometimes. Sometimes we will talk about the entire UFC card and touch on Bellator or PFL, but uh, when the other organizations bring it and the UFC doesn't, we're not afraid to flip it. Right? We're we're MMA junkie. And uh, this is just what was popping over the weekend. I'm sorry. You know, Derek Lewis, um, mad respect for him. But I don't know what's going to happen going forward. That that was not one of his better performances in a, in a situation where he really needed to go back to his destructive ways. Um, but it's a guy that has always bailed out the company. Um, gives great sound bites, great highlights. So obviously, you know, they're going to keep him around. But to what extent, right? Like, who who do you match them up with now at this point? Because I'm sure as a business, you're looking at putting him up against some of uh, kind of putting other people over. But is he really the guy to do that? I mean, he could knock out a horse, right? Like, so I don't know. It's a, it's a scary situation having uh, Derek Lewis there right now. Yeah, faux show. Um. Dana White did say, though, he's not going anywhere, so he must love him some Derek Lewis, and he pays him well. Uh, the bonuses went to Sergey Spivak and Shul Jubli, Rinya Nakamura, and Tetsuro Taira. So, again, if you go to the top tabs at our website, you can go to results, and you can check out more of the detailed results there for UFC Fight Night 218. This weekend we have one on Prime Video 7, Andrage, or sorry, Lineker versus Andrage 2. For the Bantamweight title, that is John Lineker. I've always liked that guy. That guy earned something with me with the with the knockouts that he had in the UFC, and then he moved on to one where he's done very, very well. I tune into that guy. 
I'm a fan of his. Uh, Martin Wynn is a famous, a former champion for them, so I'll probably tune into that card. Not too much more that I know about that Prime Video card, but again, a lot, a lot of stuff that pulls me in over the weekend. So I have to manage my time, and that's why it's important for fighters to stand out, man. Don't just be one of the sheep. Give us something. Give fans something to remember you by, aside from your performance, so that we do tune in. Yeah. Uh, UFC 284 is on Saturday. Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along here at MMA Junkie. Chris Curtis expected to join us for that one. He's a, uh, I think I might have called him a welterweight. We first met him as a welterweight through Contender Series, through the PFL, but he's been competing as a middleweight. He's got Kelvin Gastelum on April 8th at UFC 287, which, by the way, now has a location. Miami, and that's the card that has the rematch of Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pajeda, or to be respectful to the champ, Alex Pajeda versus Israel Adesanya, plus Gilbert Burns versus uh, Jorge Masvidal, and of course this matchup I talked about, that's pretty chill as well. Uh, we're going to talk about this more in depth tomorrow on Spinning Backlick, but uh, just goes any thoughts, because it is big, big, big news. Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, tough coaches for Tough 31. Perfect. It's the scenario that I called for on the last spinning back click. Um, it's ratings galore. It really is. But what I like about it is the payoff of them actually fighting, right? That's what you want to see. And hopefully that does happen. And I say hopefully because until Conor McGregor rejoins that USADA pool, it's just not a thing, right? We need him to jump back in that pool and make that announcement. Uh, that will make it feel a little bit more real. But um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I think these guys are going to go at it. And if you look at the fight itself, it can go in so many different ways. So it's a perfect scenario for me. Yeah, I think McGregor just makes anything solid. Uh, uh, he, he probably could have been a better coach. Remember, he would show up late. I'm not even sure he was at every practice. Mm-hmm. But he did a lot of the stuff. And when he was there, he's always, you know, he always performs or whatever. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think he would just chill in his glasses, right, and mm-hmm. sit in the back, and he wouldn't even be at the cage when the fight came, like, giving out instructions or anything like that. I wonder if he will be doing that or if he'll let his team do that. Um, Chandler, on the other hand, I'm sure will be pretty hands-on. Here's here's what I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that this fight is at 170. Right, yeah. Because then give that to other fighters, too, then. Right. Right. I want this to be at 155. It should count to their 155 stock. Um, But if they are going to make them fight to 170, then do it for some of the others. By the way, I heard Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gagey was in the running, and so was Colby Covington versus Bilal Muhammad. Mm -hmm. I think the Covington-Muhammad one was a little bit more public, but uh, I heard this one as well. And uh, but it, it's it's McGregor versus Chandler, and that's that. Hey, one last thing goes: we got to talk about Bellator two eighty two nineties the post fight at the hotel. I mean, who it was a who's who of who we saw a lot of those legends that we talked about. But I also want to give a shout out to a young fella starting out in MMA media. His name was JD, asking a couple tid you know pointers and um you know how he can maybe get started and what to do and so i enjoyed talking to him also a guy named mike finch very respectful i saw a couple times throughout the week and um very very cool very uh, cool fellow then the bellator staff was wonderful muna from san francisco we got a chance to hang out with him and see him and then uh just seeing a lot of the other fighters and the other notables around that was awesome yeah it was really really cool um you know, we got to uh, our team, of course, Simon Simono, Nolan King, they were there. Um, being around them is always uh, always fun. And then, yeah, in the hotel, just uh, great conversations with Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, Big John McCarthy, Josh Thompson, who I believe, can we announce that he is now <laughs> on the bandwagon? Has that official, or do we have to get him on the show to do this? Or what? I think he wants to come on the show. He okay. said, I'd love to come back on. And then we'll see. Goes and I are definitely trying to recruit him to be part of the Manchester United bandwagon. Manchester United is on a roll. Big win over Crystal Palace. We held them off with only 10 players, but three key points. 
Manchester City lost recently, so did Arsenal. So, you know, I'm not saying we're a threat to win the title because Arsenal's just been outstanding and they're still way ahead of everybody. But we're just competing at every level, man. FA Cup, Carabao Cup, and I would love to see us progress past Barcelona and the Europa. I mean, fans are excited, and Man United is starting to become a fortress again. Yeah. And uh, also shout out to Burt Watson, you know, who is kind of a member of our staff as well. He does Legend to Legend, uh, big Legend to Legend coming out soon. So uh, really, really excited for that. And uh, it was nice catching up with him as well. Yeah, for sure. All right, folks, I'm sure we'll talk about other stuff that trickles in throughout the week. Don't forget to catch Spinning Back Click every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Tomorrow it'll be myself, Goes, Danny Segura, and Nolan King. Talk about all the big stuff that happened this past weekend, including expanding our thoughts on Chandler and uh, and McGregor being booked as the two coaches, Bellator 290, the upcoming Bellator 284 card, and that should be a lot of fun. You can jump in the chat, ask us questions, leave comments. You're part of the show as well. And last reminder, not last one for the week, but last one on this show, UFC 284 watch along on Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific for the pay-per-view, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for the prelims. Myself and goes and UFC middleweight Chris Curtis, uh, hopefully a few others as well. So you got to check that out. And for now, we're going to bounce on out of here. Always appreciative of your time. Talk to you soon. Go out and be a champion. <laughs>